Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. So without further ado, I want to start by talking about what is the thing that precedes divorce? What is that conversation that typically happens before the the couple ever even begins to consider divorce, talk about it, starts moving in that direction? Usually the conversation begins something like this, some version of the statement I'm about to show you. I just don't love you anymore, therefore I'm not going to stay with you. I'm not feeling it, so you can't expect me to stay committed here, right? And, And the question is, What happens if this is you? What happens when you feel this way? Now, I know it stinks when you're on the other end, right? But for many people, we need to be able to help those that are on the giving end. Like, they feel this way, and you're you're asking the question, maybe you have asked this, maybe you're asking it right now, and you've never even asked your spouse, but what do I do when I lose my desire for my spouse? What do I do when I wake up and I don't feel like I'm in love anymore? Like, that... That love and feeling is gone, and I don't know how to get it back. I don't know where it went. I don't, I don't understand. And, and, and kind of to take it a step further, how am I expected to stay committed if I don't feel the passion? I don't feel that passionate love. How am I expected to stay in this marriage? In other words, what we're going to talk about today is how is romantic passion and commitment, how do those fit together? What does God say about that? Because in our culture, in our world today, they don't show us, the world doesn't show us how those fit together, they pit them against each other. It's like you can either have passionate love or you can be an old, depressed, married couple, right? There's one or the other, but you can't have it both ways. Many times this is kind of the approach. And what I wanna show you today is that there is another, a completely new approach, maybe that you've never considered before. And and to sum up kind of the culture and the world today, I want to quote from a television show. I saw a guy that was talking to his girlfriend, and I feel like he summed up what a lot of maybe young single people, people that are considering marriage, kind of come to this conclusion today. He said this, why do we need a piece of paper in order to love each other? I don't need a piece of paper to love you. It only complicates things, right? Have you ever heard something like that? Maybe you felt that way. The piece of paper obviously representing the marriage license, the marriage vow. Like, why why do we need that? That just kind of gets in the way. When we look at love and we define love this way, essentially what we're doing is we're saying love is exclusively an emotion. And when we measure love by how much we want to receive in terms of the affection of the other person, when we do that, then it puts us at a massive disadvantage. It really hurts our ability to truly love. And, and, and really, if you look at love truly just as an emotion, it's just the passion of the moment, then he's right, right? A piece of paper is going to do very little to influence your, relation, your, your feelings one way or another. But I want to introduce to you a completely new definition of love. Here's what the Bible's definition of love is. The Bible's definition of love isn't measured by how much you want to receive, how much you want the other person's affections, but how much you are willing to give of yourself. 
In, in other words, how much are you willing to lose for that other person? How much of your freedom are you willing to give up for their sake? How much of your precious time and emotions and resources are you willing to invest in that other person? Now, when you come at love and you come at marriage with this definition of love, now the wedding vow isn't just helpful, it now is a test. It's a test to prove whether you got mature enough love to be married, <laughs> to even be in a marriage relationship. And when we come to Ephesians chapter five, the apostle Paul, when he gives us this picture, what does that marriage vow look like? What is it God's original intent? He tells us this in verse 31. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be, let's read the highlighted word together, ready? And be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. They will be united. Let's define this word for a minute. From its Greek origin, it means to cleave together, to be glued to something, right? It's a covenant, it's an oath, it's a promise. It's an abiding promise. It's not something that's easily broken. It's powerful. And so what Paul is trying to show us, and by the way, he's quote, this, this verse 31 is a direct quote from the very first wedding between Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter two, verse 24, which is quoted about five times throughout the entire Bible. But he's going all the way back. He's saying this was God's original intent, all the way back from the beginning. And he's saying, and it's important that you understand this word united. It's being covenanted together. It's being an oath. It's being promised together. And so this is a stark contrast. Like, beware. If somebody comes up to you and says, look, I totally love you, like I'm crazy about you, but let's don't ruin it by getting married. Really what they're saying to you is, I may love you, but not enough to cut off my options, all right? I love you, but not enough to give myself to you completely. I love you, but um, I I'm not really ready to give everything like I don't live I don't love you up to the marriage level I'm still down here they're telling you something profound about the immaturity of their love and he's saying pay attention to this now to really understand what Paul is talking about in terms of the marriage vow and this what we're going to call a marriage covenant we won't really define that today you need to understand we need to collectively understand what is the difference between a consumer relationship and a covenant relationship because these are really different, and without realizing it, sometimes we think we're in one and we're really in another, and vice versa. It's important to make the distinction. So let me just first give you a quick background. As long as there have been transactions between human beings, there have been uh, uh, the um, consumer relationship. Not just with transactions, but also relationships between human beings that this has been a guiding factor down through history and it has crept its way into the way we relate to each other every single day. So let me give you a definition of that. Consumer relationships essentially say that consumer relationships last only as long as the vendor meets your need at a cost acceptable to you. So let's think about that for a minute. So what's implied here is that if you find a new vendor that can give you better service at the same price, 
or they give you the same service at a lower price, you are under no obligation. In a consumer relationship, you are under no obligation to the original vendor to stay in a relationship with them. No, you go where you find the best deal. In other words, a consumer relationship, in a consumer relationship, the individual's needs are more important than the relationship. All you have to do is consider you yourself that's all you have to do this contrasts starkly between a consumer and a covenant relationship just like there have always been consumer relationships there have always been covenant relationships down through time now what is a covenant relationship let me define that for you covenant relationship is the good of the relationship takes precedence over the immediate needs of the individuals for example a parent-child relationship. When a parent is taking care of an infant child, it could be argued in that relationship that the parent's emotional needs are not getting met at all. If anything, your emotional needs are getting taxed, right? But for most people, it would be unheard of. It would be crazy, ridiculous, over the top to say, I'm ending this relationship with that infant because I'm not getting my needs met. Right? Most people wouldn't do that. Why? Think about it. Why is that? Because in our society, we still consider the parent-child relationship a covenantial, not a consumer, relationship. Now, sociologists argue that in our Western societies, we have so been indoctrinated with a consumer mindset in the way we make choices in our lives every single day, it is starting to reshape relationships that had historically been covenantial, including marriage. And isn't it true that many times because of social media and how we follow and, and, and track with people and how we kind of superficially stay connected to people that there isn't in a very real sense that you will stay in a relationship with somebody um, as long as a particular need is getting met at an acceptable cost to you, Right? And if the cost becomes too much or you don't get your need met anymore, it is easy to cut your losses and go on, right? This is what he's talking about here. You see, the idea of a covenant relationship is disappearing from our culture. Yet the Bible declares it is the essence of marriage. And as the covenantial relationships disintegrate before our very eyes, so will marriage. And that is exactly what we're seeing today. But this doesn't have to be. This can be turned around. Paul is saying there is hope because we have Jesus. This can be turned around. This can be completely made different. But we need to understand what is a covenant it's a great question. And if you've ever read the Bible, especially cover to cover, you will be blown away by, this is a book of covenants. Like, your covenants are everywhere. God's making covenants. Like, it's these promises, these commitments. God makes promises and commitments, these covenants with people. And people are making them to God. People are making them to people. But the thing that makes the marriage covenant so unique is that simultaneously it is a covenant with God, a, a promise, a commitment, and with an individual. Simultaneously, and, and God says, in these two connections influence one another. If your connection with God and commitment to him is compromised, it's going to affect your marriage. And if your marriage is hurt, 
compromise, it's going to affect your relationship with God. And we see this over and over throughout Scripture. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament book of Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, chapter 2, verse 14, um, we're told, oh, pardon me, let me give you this quick definition. I'm sorry, guys. It's a sacrificial commitment to the good of the other. That's what a covenant ultimately is. It's a sacrificial commitment. I'm going to sacrifice will for the good of you, right? I'm going to put you first. I'm going to do whatever it takes to do what is in your best interest. And the, and the uh, relationship comes first before the individual. So in Malachi, let's jump forward to Malachi. This prophet of God is trying to deal with an issue that's happening to these men in Jerusalem. All these men are literally, we're told that they are crying. They're wailing before God. Like, God, why do you feel so distant? Why are you so far away? Why do you not seem to be blessing us like you once did? And Malachi says, it's easy. It's because of the way you're treating your wives. Look at the way you disrespect them. Look at the way you hurt them. Look at the way you cheat on them. And look what he says. He says, you have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. It was a covenant. It's a promise. It's an oath you made to God and to her, and you violated it. And that's part of the reason why you don't feel him. He feels far away. He doesn't feel a part of your life anymore. And this biblical principle of this connection and this connection are connected. They influence one another. They, one can hinder the other and vice versa. We see it echoed in the New Testament. The apostle Peter, in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, here's what Peter says to the men scattered, Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor. He's, he's trying to encourage them, but he's also trying to let them see there is this undeniable connection because you have made a covenant with God and with her, with, with your spouse, and with God and your spouse, He says this, husbands, in the same way, be considerate, meaning as a spiritual equal, right? As you live with her, with your wives, and treat them with respect as heirs with you to the gracious gift of life. In other words, before God, as children of God, she is equal with you, and you need to treat her that way at a time when the Greeks and Romans did not do that. Women were just a couple of like clicks up from a slave. They were treated horribly. And Peter's trying to say, you better be stark contrast with the way you treat your spouse than the whole rest of the world around you. You need to, this is what honors God. And he says, and if you do this, so that your, so that nothing will, let's say this together, nothing will hinder your prayers. Like he's saying, to not do this, you are literally compromising and hindering your relationship with God. You ever feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, Peter's saying? Take a good look at your marriage. Take a good look at how you're treating your spouse because honestly, those are connected. And it's why when you go to a a wedding ceremony, right, and you start hearing the vows, one of the first vows that you're gonna hear or what we call the I do, or the I will vows, right? The, the minister will read a paragraph. It's, it's a massive commitment these people are making. And at the end, first the man and then the woman, they say, I do, I will. And then after that, the minister will have the two people f- turn and face each other, usually take each other's hands, look right into each other's eyes, and it went something like this at my wedding. 
I will take you, Leslie, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. Like through come hell or high water, right? Through adversity, through prosperity, it doesn't matter what comes. The, the, the whole circumstance of our life is going to change, and it might change. It, that is not gonna change the covenant. But you see, there's two. There's one that's made to God. I will, I do, God. And there's one that's made to each other. That's how the marriage covenant goes down. That's how it works. There's a connection here, there's a connection there. And those moments, sometimes, and you've probably heard them too, I've been to some weddings where there's some beautiful, incredible, just heartfelt pouring out of their emotions for each other in that moment. But, but really, we're not there for that moment. That, that moment is cool, it's special, but we can safely assume they're both madly in love or we wouldn't all be here, right, right now. The covenant is about the future. The covenant is about the days to come when you are poorer than you are now <laughs> and you are sicker than you are now and you're struggling more than you are now and things are harder than they are now and everything in you is screaming, go, leave them, don't stay, don't be in this relationship. You're justified. Anybody you tell your story to, they're gonna say, girl, you should have got out of there. Guy, you should have left him. You, you have total justification. And in those moments, you're not gonna listen to any of that junk and you're gonna keep your commitment. That's what the marriage covenant was built to do. In Ephesians chapter five, verse 28, I love how Paul begins to unfold this. He says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now I wanna point your attention to this obligatory verb here. He's saying this is a verb of obligation. Now this is curious because he's saying you ought to love. Like this is a command. You need to go out and love your wives, guys. And husbands, I mean wives, you need to love your husbands. Other places the scripture clearly teaches that. But what he's showing us right here is very interesting because think about it for a minute. You can't command emotions, can you? You can only command actions. You can't command emotions, you can only command actions. So there's something really profound, I hope you don't miss this, that the Bible teaches us about emotions, and here it is. Love is fundamentally an action more than an emotion. And you hear it off the lips of Jesus. Go and love your neighbor. Love your enemy. He wasn't talking about your feelings. He wasn't talking about your emotions. He was talking about your actions. Go act loving. Go do love to them. Go put it into action. And what's crazy, when you put your treasure there, then your heart will be there also, he says. It's crazy how when you begin to act loving and serve loving towards people, it will change your heart towards them including your spouse. That's how powerful it is. This is like Paul is, is helping us to see, I'm not all that concerned about your emotional state from one moment to the next in your marriage, right? And it doesn't even matter who you married because no matter how much you think you loved them when you first got married, there is coming a day when you're gonna wake up and you have fallen out of like with them, Okay? You still love them, but you're not sure if you like them today, right? And if you're not careful, and if you've bought into this culture's philosophy of love, if you've bought into the culture's philosophy of consumer relationship, 
You will wrongly assume I married the wrong person. If I had married the right person, I wouldn't be so up and down with my emotions. I wouldn't feel all this fluctuation, right? Let me just tell you something. Make it 100% clear to you. That is 100% normal. Every single married couple experiences this, period. Can I get an amen from some of the married people in the room? All right. We all feel this. This is why it's so important, and this gets missed, this gets hijacked, it's totally screwed up in our world. It is so important that we understand it is a mistake to think that you cannot love, that you must feel love to give love. That's wrong. That's not how it works at all. Now let's go back to our parent-child relationship for just a moment. Let's think about it. If you're a parent for a moment, even if you're not a parent, imagine if you are a parent, okay? And you want to take one of your kids out, it's a day off, maybe a precious day off. You don't get a lot of those. And you're going to dedicate your whole day off to your child, right? You're going to take them to that game that they want, something they love to do. You're going to take them to a game. You're going to go to a performance. You're going to go do something that they are crazy about. You're not so much crazy about, maybe. But you are doing it for them. And let's say you're doing it for them on a day when you don't necessarily like them. Now, you're their parents, so you love them, but you're just, you know, not really in like with them on that day. It's, it's, it's a struggle, right? It could be argued that you are showing more love to them on that kind of a day than on a day when your heart is filled with love with them, for them, and you're getting all kinds of beautiful affection back from them, and it's just so reciprocal and amazing. You see what I'm saying? That if you love people only when you feel it, only when you're getting something out of it, then you are seeking the relationship not for the good of the other person, but for yourself. And this is what Paul is trying to help us to see. Jesus is trying to help us to see that if you enter in relationships like that, they won't last unless they mature past that. And I know for some of you, you may be pushing back saying, Will, all that's fine and good. I hear what you're saying. But I just can't act loving if I don't feel it. I can't fake it. It's just too mechanical for me. And, and I can totally understand your response, but let me explain something. Paul doesn't give us a mechanical action to do. He's saying, here's an action, yes, but here's something to think about at the same time that can be a powerful motivator. God's spirit can use in your life to help you to see past the superficial just how you're feeling in the moment. And here's what he shows us in Philippians, or Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives, let's say it together, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He's saying, I'm giving you something to think about right here. Imagine Jesus on the cross giving himself up for you, for the church. He's on the cross. He's in agony. He's dying. He doesn't look down at the people on the ground who are, and they're us. They represent all of us. They are denying him. They are abandoning him. They're betraying him. He doesn't say, oh boy, these people are so attractive to me. I'm so lucky that I get to die for them, right? It, it is something he's doing in spite of what we're doing. He's rising above how the human emotions must have been in that moment. And he prays this powerful, precious prayer. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. 
And in that moment, he shows us the greatest act of love in all of human history. When he had every reason to abandon and leave us, he stayed. He stayed. He didn't abandon us. He stayed with us and he showed us what covenantal love really looks like. He stayed with us not because we were lovely. He stayed with us to make us lovely. He stayed with us because his love held him there. And he says, and my love can hold you there too. And you can do this. And it's that, in those moments when I want to give up and when you want to give up in your marriage and in the future when you want to give up to remind yourself, Jesus, because of the way you stood and you stayed for me, I'm going to uphold my promise, my covenant I made on my wedding day. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to wimp out. I'm going to hold steady through the storms of life. And I need your help, God. I need your Holy Spirit to be my power and my strength through this. And he will. It's so beautiful. It's so powerful. And this is how passionate romance can be mixed with deep, abiding commitment. I'm telling you, after being married, we just celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary. I'm telling you, you stay committed through the good and the bad, and the passion gets better and better and better. You know why? Because I'm not scared she's going to run out on me. She doesn't scared I'm going to run out on her. We can be totally vulnerable with each other, and that's a gift from Jesus. You don't get that from these fly-by-night, one-night stands where you're treated like garbage. You will not find that there. And he's trying to show us we can get back to this. It's not going to be easy, but we have to commit to say, yes, Jesus, we're going to do it your way. We're going to love as you have loved us. We're going to put the needs of the relationship over the individual instead of the other way around. It takes maturity. It takes commitment. It takes stamina. It takes discipline, but it can be done. And I want to encourage you today, be one of the few that are willing to say, I'm gonna do it God's way. I'm sick of all this relational carnage and what it's doing to our kids and the future generations because people give up so easy on each other. And I just wanna encourage you today, would you be willing to be those people? Would you be willing to do that in your marriage? This is the covenant or the, uh, the application prayer I'm asking you to pray with me today. It's simply saying, Jesus, where have I been operating out of a consumer rather than a covenant relationship? Putting me before others rather than others before me. With my spouse, if you're not married, your friendships, your coworkers, your roommates, people that you work around, live around, go to school around, who has God put in your life that he's saying, I want you to start loving them like that, covenantially. I commit to love sacrificially as you did for me, putting their good first. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.